small smile, $10 bigger smile, you know, like have a bit of fun. Sometimes in our faith, whether it's giving or whether it's giving of our time or spending time with people, it's a sacrifice. And giving to God at times can be a financial sacrifice, but there's always a blessing in it. God never despises a sacrifice of praise, whether it's with our voices, our time, or our treasure and talents. Ever. God cannot be outgiven. Amen? Um, Mel summed it up really well earlier that we just had a wonderful time with Peter. For me, he's been unpacking in our house. For those that know, Peter McHugh's the pastor at Stairway Church. It used to be C3, Whitehorse. He's pastored there for almost 30 years. Uh, and he's been unpacking in our house here as a friend of the house just for many years now. And I just felt like there was such a deeper revelation of his teaching, on, particularly on Friday for our leaders. Um, it's, there are benefits to putting your hand to the plough, yeah? <laughs> I'm just putting it out there at times. You know, there is a sacrifice in serving, but there are some benefits at times. But yesterday, even yesterday, we had friends of ours that came up from Horsham uh, unexpectedly, and just loved what he brought. It was just a beautiful time. Uh, and we truly were totally enriched. It was, wasn't it? It was just a, a really sweet time. So for those that weren't able uh, to come along, do yourself a favour. And all being well this week, uh, I'll have it up on our website where you can stream. Uh, if you like, you can download it. It's for free. Uh, please avail yourself to it. You will benefit from it. It'll just help shape and form some of your theology, amen, particularly around the heartbeat uh, of our house here at Mount Clear. You know, the language that we often, that I use, is our prophetic destiny. You know, Mount Clear Church of Christ has been here for almost 160 years. I think we celebrated 150 in 2013. And so, in whether it's in this building or the building that's attached to this or the older building or in a different location with the many pastors that have overseen the church, there is a prophetic destiny that runs through the house. And some of what Peter was, was touching on yesterday just so captures that. Um, and I actually, funnily enough, I want to look at some of that today because for me, the prophetic destiny on our house is people. It's the restoration of people. It's the restoration and the making whole of the broken. I know that every church is a healing house. I know that. But every church has a prophetic destiny. You know, every church has a mandate that God has placed on it from when it was birthed. And it just seems through the peaks and troughs of the Mount Clear journey that ours seems to be that um, God continues to bring those that need to be restored, either in life or spiritually, people that are really hungry for more, that have been looking but have found themselves disappointed. And it just from person to person that walks through the door, it seems to be a, a similar story but in different contexts. And, uh, and I love that. I love that about this house. And when Peter rolled up on Friday, um, during the week, I got a little handout that he was going to use. And uh, the last two weeks, I've been talking about uh, those that have, that for our visitors, excuse not knowing, but uh, for those that have been coming, I've been talking about guarding your heart. And so he sends through a, a, a handout that is about being in relationship and guarding your heart. So I just felt like that he had a, he had a word that was so in season for our church. Um, Last week, when I was talking about guarding your heart, I was talking about the importance in guarding your heart is for actually everyone else around you. It's not about keeping stuff out. It's, a, it's about knowing what Christ has placed in our hearts. And 
if we know that because of what Jesus did on the cross, we now are his children, yeah? We now are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. We are now his ambassadors, yeah? We now have an open heaven, access to the power of God that lives within us that raised him from the dead. We know now that once before the cross, we had no value, but he found value in us. And now we're totally valuable, totally worthy, regardless of what the world says around us. When we know that, that's what we keep in our hearts. That's what we guard. And so when we deal with people, this is how much God loves people. When we properly guard our hearts for our own walk and our own life, we can actually see the way that he sees other people. When we see the way that he sees other people, we know that they are of value, that Christ came for them too. We know that they are worthy, regardless of what our minds, thoughts or people around us may have told us about them. And so we treat them differently because now we're starting to see and understand God's heart for them because we've guarded what God's placed in our hearts about how he looks to us. Yeah. So today I want to keep going on the thought that it's about people. Everything about our faith is a relationship with God. And for God, when he's looking at us, it's about each and every one of us as individuals having a relationship with us. And so that's where I'm going. And we should pray and we'll see where we end up in Jesus' name. So Father, thank you for the privilege of being able to, I guess, just sit in your presence. God, often I think that um, uh, the fewer words that are spoken, uh, the more potent your message is. And Lord, I thank you for our time of worship this morning. I just thank you, God, that you are totally glorious. (laughs) Totally glorious. Totally glorious. Thank you, God, that we discover daily, moment by moment, how wonderful you are. Lord, the love that you pour out on your people the wonderful destiny that you have for each and every person, your desire for them to live an abundant life. Father, I just pray that today, even as I speak, God, that you would speak more loudly, that we would come away from this place. Lord, whether you need to cut us or prune us or mould us, however you need to shape us, that we would walk away from here more in the image of your son, Jesus, from glory to glory and strength to strength. Have your way this day, Holy Spirit. Everybody said... Amen. So, God loves people. God loves people. God loves people. God loves people. And if we get anything from today, write those three words down. And if anybody says, what did Andrew talk about? Rather than saying, I have no idea, you can just say, God loves people. You know, it'll actually even sound spiritual. God loves people. You know, like... John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If that is not you know, one of the key anchors of the gospel and Christian faith, there is, you know, there are, I guess there are a stack of scriptures that are, but that one there just said God loves people. God loves people. God loves people. He loved the world so much that he gave. I love that, that he gave Jesus for us. He loves people. And then... In, in this ultimate sacrifice in loving people, he then positions us from a place of not being worthy to a place on this side of the cross where we're totally worthy. And he says, and now, you guys, you're my hands and feet extended. 
I'm going to show my love and pour my love through you. Now that you've accepted it, now that you're starting to, starting to experience it, because the reality is that you can't contain God. You know, how do you measure a piece of string that has no beginning and has no end? We're forever learning more, discovering his love in, in, in a deeper way, always, in every encounter that we have with people. And as we experience more and more of his love, it's then our mandate, our responsibility to knowing what he's given us to then love on everybody else. I mean, that's a gutsy move, isn't it? You know? You're, imagine being a master tradesman and you, there is no one better than you and then you give your business name and everything that you are to somebody that you know doesn't have totally the same talent at that time. You, know, you give them access to it all and you go, now go and produce what I've just produced. Look, that's a mind-blowing thought, really, isn't it? That's a courageous God. It, like, think about it. How long was it before we gave some of those of us that have, have children, before we gave our kids a really sharp knife, you know, to cut through something? It's like, oh, no way. You'll hurt yourself. You cut off your finger, and I don't know how to stitch it back on. But no one's had those accidents at home. My poor son's still traumatised when it comes to um, cutting his nails, uh, only because... He remembers, and, and actually this trauma runs through both my sons because one witnessed the other. But I, I still think he's got a part of his finger missing from when Mel was trying to cut his nails, you know. There are just some things that we do that aren't kosher, right? God's not like that, praise God for that. He doesn't scar us, but he certainly gives us the tools to be able to do that. But God loves people and where his hands and feet extended. So I've got a little bit of a reading today because I, I want to try to capture God's heart because when we capture his heart then we know how to to address each other we know how to love each other yeah and not just those of us that are in the house but those that are in the community that are around us because if we can't if the church can't love one another love brothers and sisters yeah if we can't love each other when we disagree how in the heck are we gonna be a people that show love out there with people that if you've got some sort of faith, somewhere in your faith, you're going to have a belief and a stance that's going to be different. How are you going to be able to love them if you can't love people here? Yeah? So just a thought. So John, we're going to look at John chapter 4. We're going to read from verse 4. And we've got a bit of reading, so I'm going to start after I have some water. Now, he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. Had to. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. That's how I'll pronounce it. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then the disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you've reaped the benefits of their labour. Long reading. (laughs) Bless you, God. Really, some really deep wonderful truth that that the lord has just sprinkled through this entire passage yeah some some wonderful truth because it's a great story and, and and we see jesus here and he's going through samaria verse four right at the beginning said he had to go through samaria he had to go through samaria the truth is there's actually a better way they don't normally go that way if you know anything about the geography there and, and history of the Jews in that location, they wouldn't go through Samaria. There's a better way. They wouldn't normally travel through Samaria. They would normally have crossed over the Jordan River and they would have gone around Samaria is the way that they would have gone. They would have done that simply because there are Samaritans in Samaria. Yeah. So for those of us that... Grew up, I'll, I'll, I'll pick on Melbourne. I grew up in Melbourne. I grew up in West Footscray. I live next to Sunshine. Sometimes you, you had to get to Keelor. But to get to Keelor in the old days, you had to go through Sunshine and then through St. Albans. I don't want to go through those locations. I would much rather go around. It's a longer drive, but it's nicer. If I stop to get petrol, my wheels are still on my car. It's a much... It's a march, nah, nice. If you know anyone from those locations, 
Don't tell them to listen to the podcast. So um, it's, a just, it's a much nicer drive to go around rather than going through those back streets, orange brick, brick houses, old fish and chip shops that they haven't changed the sign in a thousand years. It's just, and the people aren't very nice. Well, at least that, back then when I was judgmental because I'm not now. Let's make it clear, you know. But back then, the Jews didn't want anything to do with the Samaritans, so they would cross the river and they would go around. Yet here in this verse, it says Jesus had to go to the town. But Jews didn't mingle with Samaritans. In fact, in Jesus' day, yeah, you've got to think the Samaritans, they were, they were so looked down upon because they were like half Gentile and half Jew. It, it was like a mixed breed, you know, like it just for the pure Jew. They just weren't the right people. Yeah? They weren't nice people. At least that's what they were taught. So they never went there, ever went there. They would never associate with those type of people because they were the type of people that God, he didn't favour those people like he favoured them. Yeah? They were the people that God wasn't interested in. Again, that's what they thought. So they just never went through there. So if you've got this history of the Jews and Samaritans, by the time you get to Jesus, you have at least a minimum 500 plus years of tension, racial tension. And then verse 4 says that he had to go yeah, to Samaria against everything else that has been set in concrete for many, many years, hundreds of years. So he's Jesus. Shows up and he must go through Samaria. It doesn't explain why he goes there. He just says to his disciples, hey boys, we're not going that way. We're not crossing the bridge. We're going straight through. I would probably suggest that they were thinking to themselves, he's lost it. The time's come. He's finally lost it. This isn't right. You know, This isn't the normal way we go. We don't normally go this way. You know, we would normally go a different way. We'd normally go around, but praise God, really. Praise God that our God, the God that we serve, doesn't do things in a normal way. You know, praise God that the God that you and I serve doesn't take a normal road. You know, praise God that the God that we serve just does things that we don't understand. Why would he go through Samaria? Praise God that he does things that we don't understand. But here's what I think. I think the scripture about Samaria isn't so much about the road that they took. I don't believe that. I actually think it's about a person. One person. I said from the beginning that God loves people. I said from the beginning and last week that we guard our hearts because in guarding our hearts and knowing how much he loves us gives us a picture and a glimpse of how much he loves people, those around us. That helps us to know how to act with them and be with them. I think this whole passage of scripture is about one person. It's not about a shortcut. Um, you know, it's about Jesus had somebody on his mind. He had somebody on his heart, in fact. Yeah? Because when it comes to God, our Father, he, it's always about people. It's not about routines. It's, it's not about roads that are normal. It's not about religion as such. It's not about traditions. Yeah? It's always 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 about people that's why i love mount clear not because i'm here not because i'm pastoring not because of you though yes because of you but because there's a mandate on this house that's about the people it's about building the people it's not about building an empire though it would be great to have you know a, a, 
a bigger church, bigger screens, LEDs. I would like those things. Bigger coffee machine. They're all great, yeah? A bigger foyer. But it's not about that. It's about people. It's always about people. So Jesus had to go through Samaria because he wants to reach people and save them and set people free, yeah? So thank God he had to go through some of that. So for me, it meant that he had to come through Tottenham and Footscray and get me in West Footscray. Now today, West Footscray is coming up in stature. But yesteryear, it wasn't like that. I would much prefer to have grown up in South Yarra or Paran. Yeah? But I didn't. I grew up in West Footscray. Yet Jesus didn't go around. He still came too. Yeah? And so in context, he, and I mean no disrespect, yeah? But it means he went to Sebastopol and to Mount Clear and, and to Wendaree and to Brown Hill, yeah? He went to all of those places for us because he had to go where we're at, where you and I are at. He has to go there. Even though normally he'd go around, he'd rather not go there. He has to go there. You know, often we say, that, you know, that, that we came to God. We came to a place where we just acknowledged him and we, we stepped towards him and we came to God. You know, Peter put it so beautifully yesterday, even in the simple truth that he chose you. He came to you. He came so close to you, in fact, that you couldn't ignore it. And so it's not so much that you came to him, but when he exposed himself to you, hi, I'm God, you said, wow, you're awesome. Okay, yes, please. Yeah, you've got to understand the difference. It's not that we went to him, but he came chasing us because he loves us so much. And in discovering that, we're like, wow, how did we not see that? How did we not see him? I want him. God wants to go after every person, even people that nobody else wants, (laughs) even some of the people in your life. Family members. Anyone got those family members that you'd rather not spend time with? Maybe just my family? Okay, my family. Don't let my daughters and cousins listen to that. Okay, no worries. But we all know people that we would rather not go after, like if we're to be totally honest, you know? They hate God. They don't understand why you go to church. They're not fun to be around. They're rude. They're arrogant. They're the sort of people, think about it, when in conversation you'd say, they'd never come to faith. They'd never come to God. God could show up in all of his glory and they would say, no, thank you. Those people, yeah, those people. Picture those people. I think God even wants them, even them, believe it or not. Even Richmond supporters. I said it last week and I, I don't like to go there often because I know it's a, it's a, it's a tender spot for some. But I know, I know the grace of God, they know my heart and they love me anyway. God even wants them. Yeah. God loves people. You know, where, where did God, if you had to stop and think for a minute, just for a minute, close your eyes. Where did God have to go to get you? Like where he really got you, where he grabbed attention, where he grabbed your heart, where he massaged it and you knew that he was the real deal. Was, was it a church of Christ? 
Was it an AOG church? Was it a Baptist church? Was it even a church? Was it a sporting club? Where were you? God went somewhere to get you. And not only did he have to go somewhere to get you, he had to get through stuff to get us. See, for some of us, Jesus had to get through our mindsets. He had to get through our reasoning. He had to get through our depression. He had to get through our anxiety. He had to get through our anger. Yeah, He had to get through our opinions. Because let's face it, you and I, we all have opinions. They're like armpits and they all stink. Yeah, Truth. Well, I've never heard it put like that. Well, now that you put it like that. You know, he had to get through our unbelief. He had to get through our bitterness. He had to get through our burnout. And you know, for some of us, he had to get through our offense. Some of us have carried offense with people so long that we've actually closed the door on God. It's got nothing to do with God. Just because somebody's a Christian or is in the same church, don't take it out on him. Get to him. Learn from him. See how he sees that person. Because I guarantee you that person that we're offended with, God still loves. God still wants. God still chases. Because it's always about people, yeah? God loves people. And, and I love this story because the, the hero in this story, it's, it's not us. It's not the woman. It's Jesus. Jesus is always the hero in these stories. He's always the one that does something that is so left of center that the disciples are wondering, I wonder, why did he do that? You know, God, I just think God wants us to know, Papa wants us to know what he went through to get to us. That he actually, when you think about Jesus, he took himself deity and he wrapped himself in skin, bones, tendons, stuff that bleeds, that hurts, that breaks to get to us. That's pretty huge. He went through pain, humiliation on the cross to get to us. And scripture says that he must, he had to go through Samaria. You know, when he gets there, he's tired. He tells his disciples he's hungry, so they take off. Off they go. Good boys. And in the noonday sun, the midday sun, he's sitting by the well. He could have sat anywhere more comfortable. He could have looked for shade. But in the hottest, the hottest part of the day, when no one went for water, yeah, he sat there. I don't think they had big, you know, sun-covering, school-type hats like our kids do. And he didn't wear those Akubras that someone should... That no one should have made an Akubra ever. I'm putting it out there. We should kill those things now for life. For, I know I'm offending people everywhere today, but Akubras, if you're going to wear a hat, it needs to be a cap. Well, it's 2019. It's nearly 2020. Just putting it out there. Anyway, I got that out. It's taken me nine years. Nine years of living in Ballarat and a Cooper is everywhere. I don't get it. But breathe. Breathe. It's all right. Breathe. The brilliance is that you have to forgive me. The Bible says if you don't forgive me, God won't forgive you. Thank you for, for forgiving me. <laughs> He sat there, he went through Samaria because he had this one woman on his mind, this one soul. He knew that she would be there. You gotta, there's such a depth of love. He knew that she would be there at that time of day because there was no way that she would go earlier because earlier, that's when everybody, that's when the normal people went. That's when the mums, the dads, the kids would go to the well. 
But not her. She's living with shame and regret. She's going to go only when there's no one else around. And there's Jesus positioning himself in the sun, scalding, hottest part of the day, waiting. You wouldn't get me getting water at midday. You'd be lucky me carrying a bucket at 9am. But he knew that she would be there. Because if she went earlier, people would gossip about her. People would talk about her. They would whisper. And I, I imagine if I was her, I wouldn't want to deal with that stuff. There are people, believers, all over that don't walk into a church because Christians, those of us that are supposed to guard our hearts, and with what Christ has placed in there, how he looks at us, so that we know how he looks at everybody else. There are people all over the globe that don't step into a church to be with a family because people have whispered and people have gossiped. Yeah? And here's this woman that goes to, to the well at the hottest part of the day so she doesn't have to confront that. So I totally understand. Yeah? I totally understand. And there's Jesus what a shock. She doesn't know he's the Messiah. She just knows there's some guy sitting on the well where she just wanted to go get some water and get back to where she lives. Yeah. She doesn't know that he made the choice, that he had to go through Samaria. She doesn't know that she's about to have a divine appointment <laughs> with the King of Kings. There's just something on this at the moment. <laughs> I certainly wasn't undone when I was writing it, but I just felt like God was giving me revelation. You know. So she comes to draw water, and Jesus says to give me a drink. You know, we know the story; we read it. <laughs> she recognizes his accent, and she goes, "Hey, but you're a Jew. You can't. You can't give me water. You're not even supposed to be talking to me. You know, what are you doing talking to me?" Remember, there's all this racial tension. If people found out, man, you'll be as outcast as I am. And I love what Jesus says in John 4.10. Jesus answered her and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This is the gospel. This is why we, I guess, preach. This is why we share our faith. You know, this is why we love. This is why we're in the world. This is why we're in community. Because... The world doesn't know this story. Yeah? The people around us that don't know Jesus, don't know God, don't know the Father, they don't know this story. But they need to know it. They need to know there's hope. They need to know there's love. They need to know that there's deliverance. They need to know the gift of God that Jesus is. She goes on to ask, are you greater than our father Jacob? And Jesus answers, if you drink my water, you'll never be thirsty again. I, I actually don't think she understood what Jesus was, was saying. I, I really don't think she had a concept uh, of what he was trying to get to at the time. See, the, the water for her, it represents what she's thirsty for. Yeah, Really sim simply, we look at that. It's a woman. She's going to a well. She's carrying a bucket. She's thirsty. She says, I'm thirsty. She needs water. 
But we're all thirsty for a lot of different things, really. You know, people drink, they do drugs, they have sex, (laughs) all because they're trying to quench a thirst. Do you understand? This is a picture of our lives living outside and without God. She's carrying a bucket to fill it with water because she's thirsty. She needs that to live. But there are so many people across the globe in Ballarat, next door, maybe us. Yeah. And we're, we're thirsty, but we're thirsty for other things because we're trying to dull our pain. We're trying to get through life. And people will try to quench all sorts of desires. And that's why Jesus says, if you actually drink my water, if you, if you take from me what I've got, then you will never be thirsty again. Yeah? And, and I love this because the woman says, give me this drink. And Jesus answers, well, go get your husband. Like he just, he, he, he's at this point, this beautiful point of revelation. And, he also, and then he just takes a small left-hand turn. And she goes, well, I, I don't have one. And we know, we know how Jesus responds. And he says, you're correct, you've had five. But, but I want to I bring this to your life. She's had five husbands and her sixth is not her husband. Jesus says that. She's now talking to man number seven. Jesus, number seven. Number seven is God's number. You know, like if this is not a divine appointment, no, nothing, nothing is. Because seven's God's perfect number. And when you come to the end of yourself, because six, the sixth man was not her husband. When you come to the end of yourself, yeah, there is nothing else left but God. Yeah. She had to get to the end of herself. You know, we often preach and teach the story about the woman and, you know, she had five husbands and all that sort of stuff, but... What about those of us that have been angry five times or you know, anxious five times or disappointed five times or offended five times because we're thirsty? <laughs> Even Jesus as God-man was thirsty. The soul of humanity is thirsty and there's only one thing that will quench our thirst and Jesus knows what it is because he is who it is. Only he can quench our thirst because God loves people. And, and I love it because she runs away to tell everybody about her encounter and she leaves her water jar behind. Jesus never asks her to leave her water jar. She just drops it and she bolts. She, she leaves it behind. He didn't say, repent of your sin. Did you catch that? Yeah, You wicked woman. He didn't say anything to her, right? But when you meet Jesus... The very thing that we're carrying that we use to quench the thirst that's within us that's unquenchable unless we have him. When we actually encounter the king of kings, we'll put our water jar down. You don't have to tell people to put down their water jar. You don't have to tell people to put down the very thing they're carrying that's feeding them. It could be sin. Whatever and however you look at it, you don't have to tell them. They just need to encounter Jesus. And when they encounter him, the, the excitement, the fulfillment of all that, they just she puts her water jar down and she goes. We'll leave our old lifestyle. We will leave our drugs, we will leave our alcohol, we will leave our mindsets, our anxieties, our unforgiveness. We will leave it if we discover him for real. 
Let's not be a church here. Let's not be a people that emphasize the water jar. Let's not be a people. I don't think you've ever heard me preaching about the water jar in the nine years that I've been here. Because I just need to bring people to Jesus. And when they discover Jesus, they will put down the water jar. And if they're not sure about putting down the water jar, when they discover Jesus, I guarantee you they will come and ask me about it. I don't need to be the person that says, look at the water jar. We don't need to be that type of person either. She leaves. <laughs> and the disciples come. John 4, 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him ta- talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? You know, I reckon they were thinking, but they didn't speak it. Did you just see that? Did you catch that? Jesus was speaking to a Samaritan. I reckon from a long way off, the boys were whispering. I just... I always like to you know, flesh out what's not there because we can see a part of the journey but we don't see it all. You know, If these pages are really containing three years, there's not a lot there for three years. You know? It's like watching a show on TV for an hour but in that hour, three days has passed. It's like that. You've got to fill in the blanks sometimes. Yeah? Didn't they ask him about food and Jesus answers and, and I, I want to try to... Explain this if I can. Land the plane, so to speak, as often Peter was saying yesterday. Jesus says he must go through Samaria because it's all about people. It's all about people, yeah? Jesus sits on a well under the hot midday sun because it's all about people. And he sends his disciples away, I believe, not just to get him something to eat, (laughs) but to get them out of the picture. Because sometimes... Our greatest hindrance, you know, are the disciples of Jesus, the people around us. Yeah? He gets them out of the way, and this woman now has this encounter, an encounter that was organized by Father God before she was even born, because for God it's always about the people. It's all about the people. And I love this picture because she goes and tells everyone and now the disciples are back. And the disciples say in that passage that we read from verse 4 to verse 38, don't say it's four months and revival is coming. Don't say it's four months you know, and then my friend will be saved, so to speak. Don't tell me it's four months. Don't wait for the right time. Now, Jesus says that the harvest, speaking of people, is right now. And he tells them that he's doing the Father's will. And now, like the Father sent him, I'm going to send you into the harvest field. Now, at that moment, at that moment, most commentaries would say this, yeah? When he's talking to the disciples and he says, lift up your eyes, they would suggest that when she put down her water jar and she left for the city from Sakaar, yeah? That the whole city of Sakaar was now walking towards them. This is what most commentaries will say. And you've got to get the picture. So you've got the whole city of Sakaar walking towards Jesus. Now, Samaritans in the day would often wear white robes. They would often, legitimately, truly, they would wear white robes. And you've got this city of Sakaar wearing white robes walking towards Jesus. And Jesus says to his disciples, look up. He goes, look up. The field is white unto the harvest isn't that what he said you've got to get the picture that's happening at the same time because for God it's all about people 
These Samaritans, all these bad people, 500 years of racial tension, yeah, were symbolically dressed in white without even knowing for such a time as this. So when the disciples looked up, as they looked up and saw the city, the Samaritans wearing white, coming towards them, Jesus' words, he, they would finally see what he sees. Yeah? Isn't that the prophetic word for our church this year, to see through the eyes of Jesus? As they looked up, and he talks about a harvest that's ready, that's white, he says. He has this, a whole city of people wearing white, walking towards them that just look like a field. You tell me how God's not all about people. Yeah? We need to be all about people yeah why don't we stand do you mind playing the guitar band wouldn't that be alright I, I can't help but think that if we're going to be all about people we need to learn how to walk with people you know, we need to continue to remind ourselves how God sees one another. But what that means is that I spend time with Laurie and I get to know Laurie. So it's got to start in here before it can work well out there. You know, I might spend time with John. I wouldn't spend time with Judy on her own because John wouldn't be happy and he's taller than I am. So I would spend time with John. Yeah, and for the first 20 minutes or 30 minutes, I've learnt from John and Judy because if I go to have a cup of coffee or tea with them, the first 20, 30 minutes of our conversation, they're asking how I am. How, how are you? <laughs> God loves people so much that we need to learn to love people outside of these walls, but within these walls, you know? So if I spend time with Nath, it might be over a beer. It could be through a round of golf just so he can laugh at my swing. But it's so that we can get to know each other. But then from then, as you spend time with someone, if I'm spending time with Laurie, then the mandate would be then, then Laurie would spend time with Stephen or somebody else and get to know him because it's always all about the people. And if we've neglected the people in these walls, how are we going to reach the people out there without walls? Yeah? It's always about the people. It's never about the water jar. It's about the person. Jesus had to go to Samaria. We have to find the places that we need to go. Work through the stuff that he had to work through to reach that one soul that God wants to reach. Yeah? I'd love to see our church, every church in Ballarat full. Truth is... 100,000 people plus in Ballarat, 3,000 people in church max. Every church could be full. But people have got to love people. We've got to learn how to come alongside people. We have to step outside of our comfort zone. And not just a phone call. But it's also being able to spend time together and having the difficult conversation. You know? What's going on? What, what's happened? Why haven't you done that? Why do you struggle to do that? What's, what's the blockage? What's the holdup? How can we work through this together? It's carrying that tension in love as we love one another because for our Father in heaven that clothed him, his son in flesh, tendons, muscles, bones, sinews, did all of that and then put him there so we could have a relationship with him. It's always about the people. And I think every once in a while as, as his children, we need to remember what his heart is, yeah? Yeah. So why don't we today just make a decision for our 
within ourselves to say, you know what, God? For some of you, you may never have lost sight of God's heart, but maybe for some of us, we need to realign and have a look again and just remember that it's about the people. It's those behind you, beside you. It's those that aren't here. It's those that will be here. It's those that used to be here. It's those that live next door to you. It's those that you work with. It's those that you bump into because you're dropping kids and grandkids at school. It's those that you see every day at the supermarket. We need to learn to come alongside them and show them value because Jesus had to go to Samaria. And sometimes so do we, yeah? So let's pray. Father, we just want to be more like your son. Lord, help us always to have a picture and a vision that the harvest is white or that it's ready to be harvested. Father, may we always see your heart in every person. May we always see the value that you place on the person. Father, may we always see the worth that you have now given every individual because of the wonderful work of the cross. Father, may we be a people that show those around us Jesus. Even as Ray shared in communion, Father, may we allow you, Holy Spirit, to fill us and work through us for those around us. May we be your hands and your feet extended that your name would be glorified. Thank you that you found us worthy to step into that place. Thank you that you found us worthy to speak the name of your son, Jesus. Thank you that you found us, Lord, Lord, urban vessels, broken, Lord, but you still found us of worth and placed, Lord, your son, the Spirit of God within us, Holy Spirit within us. Thank you, God, that you would place something of such great and, Lord, infinite value, Lord, within us. Lord, you're a glorious God. So this day, Lord God, we want to be changed. Lord God, this day we want to be different. Father, we want to step into a place and space the same way that you did that places value on those that you place value on. Help us to be Jesus to those who are around us. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. You are our God. You're our Father. You're our King and our Lord and our Messiah and our Saviour. The wonderful rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star, Lord, that is you, and we love you. And everyone in the house said, Amen. Let's love people, amen. Amen. amen.